coming up on This Week in Radio Tech. I'm in a different location, and Chris Tarr is at his regular house. Frank Fody is our guest joining us to talk about the Syndicate of Sounds. What is that? Well, it has to do with making things that you know how they sound sound better, a lot better. And a lot of people around the world are appreciating this as well. Real music production experts. It's all coming up next on Twerk. This Week in Radio Tech is brought to you by Broadcasters General Store with outstanding service, savings, and support online at bgs.cc. By Broadcast Bionics with the Bionic Studio, including talk show control, social media, and visual radio. Broadcast Bionics brings exceptional audience engagement to radio and TV. By Angry Audio. Audio problems disappear when you get angry at angryaudio.com. By Nautel, worry-free transmission you can count on with outstanding control, reliability, efficiencies, and Nautel's unmatched 24-7 customer support. Online at Nautel.com. And by MaxConnect Wireless, prioritized high-speed internet service designed for transmitter sites and remote broadcasts. Hey, welcome into This Week in Radio Tech, the show where we talk about everything from the microphone to the light bulb at the top of the tower. I'm Kirk Harnack, your host, and we're at the uh, Southern Command of This Week in Radio Tech. We are live here in Lauderdale uh, uh, by the Sea. Yeah, we're right next to the Atlantic Ocean. I'm sorry the camera's kind of blown out there. You know, what do you expect with a $69 camera? But uh, we are right next to the ocean and the beach and all that here. I'm at Plunge Beach Resort in Lauderdale by the Sea, just north of Miami, about a 45-minute to an hour drive north of Miami. So that's where I am. I've been here for a few days and just taken a few days of R&R. Back to, uh, back to the work uh, at Telos Alliance in just a few days. All right, let's check in uh, our co-host. He's, he's rested, he's ready, he's feeling better, he's breathing deeply. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Chris Tarr. Chris, good to see you. I don't, I don't know if I'd go that far. I'm, I'm surviving. I'm vertical. Okay. I'm awake. <laughs> and I am not in Florida, so I am totally jealous. Uh, I'm here in beautiful McGuanago, Wisconsin, although... We kind of got a little taste of springtime. Temperatures have been actually pretty nice, and it sounds like we're going to get to a warm streak here uh, over the next couple of days. So it's like a little taste of spring, but I just keep reminding myself it's still winter. It's only January. We still have time to get hit. So, uh, you know, we'll see where that goes. But, yes, I am. Last week I was a little uh, still recovering from my uh, from my pneumonia, still recovering from it, still moving around kind of slow, but. I'm here, and that's what matters. Well, it's good to see you, and I mean that in all sincerity. Good to see, good to see you, Ver- vertical. <laughs> Glad you're recovering. And our guest is here, and that's oh, a man that I came to uh, to love as a as a fellow engineer and admire as an inventor, and uh, eventually a CEO and chairman of the board of Telos Alliance. And that's uh, a guy who's always I've looked up to him for a long time. He is taller than me, but he, that's not hard to do. <laughs> but he's also a fantastic asset to the whole radio and audio industry. It's Frank Foti. Hey, Frank, welcome in. Good to see you. Hey, Eric, how are you? And you know, I you guys good. are all talking about your locations. You know, maybe I should say that I'm coming to you. You know, from the shady rest. You know, of Petticoat Junction, and then you can change the song to say. And there's Frankie Foe. He's a moving kind of slow at the junction. <laughs> That's a, oh, man, what a great show that was. And and you and trains, I mean, that kind of t- all ties together, doesn't it? Well, real yeah. quick story. When I would, that, uh, that show came on on Tuesday nights on CBS, and it was right after the Red Skelton hour. And I'm probably in second grade, and my bedtime was right when Petticoat Junction came on. 
And my mom would let me stay up just long enough to see the opening credits because the train kept came through. Well, the only times I was able to see the show would be in the summer if it was in reruns or if I was sick and staying home from school, you know, she'd let me stay up. You know, I'd fall asleep on the couch. But um, I, there was something about that show that I always loved. And if you're wondering, yes, I have the Hooterville Cannonball in HO scale. Oh. <laughs> of course you do. Why wouldn't you? Oh my right. goodness! What a, what a yeah! What a great time to be alive when that show was uh, was on weekly instead of you know what? There's probably a whole channel yep. for it on uh, on Pluto. So so Frank is and I and Chris are going to be talking about uh, an audio experience that's a little different than audio processing, but it's something that's interested Frank for years, and he has made it come true, and and he's done some pretty amazing things with us. We'll get to that in just a minute. Our show is brought to you in part by our friends at Nautel and uh, the Nautel uh, Transmission Talk Tuesday webinars. They're on hiatus until February. So a few more weeks, they'll be on hiatus and they'll restart again in February. We'll update you on when you can go register for the next ones with, uh, with Jeff Welton hosting that. But I want you to think about the GV series of Nautel FM transmitters. And I got to tell you, of all the Nautel transmitters that I have personally seen out there, I probably see more GVs than than anything else because I somehow I get to a lot of transmitter sites and and see these new beautiful GV transmitters. Now this is the line that's uh, available from three and a half kilowatts up to eighty kilowatts. So there's some some big big transmitters available. They do HD radio if you're in an area where they do DRM, you, you can get them for DRM, uh, and of course regular FM as well. Um, and I'm I, I should have asked Chris uh, Tar before uh, offering his opinion here. Chris, do you do you yourself take care of any GV transmitters? As a matter of fact, I do. Uh, I oh. just installed one. I uh, just installed one last year, and I'm installing another one here in about a month. Um, love them. They're great transmitters. Uh, easy to set up. I can actually, with the power installed, I can have one commissioned in about 30 minutes. I just oh they're that intuitive. They're that intuitive. <laughs> you plug in the frequency, the power level, and Basically, make sure everything's hooked up. Press the on button, um, and reliable. The one I've had, uh, the one I put in, actually, I think it's been a little bit more than a year now. I've not had a single failure with it. Knock on wood. Um, just a really reliable transmitter. Nautel has fantastic support. So yeah, I I love the GV series. They're great transmitters. Well, it, it turns out that I'm the owner of one, a, a GV10, and I'm about to be a part owner of of another one or two. Uh, of them coming up as we increase power on a couple of our stations in Mississippi. Uh, although it's been my friend Russell Lafferty who has installed them and hooked up remote control. So anyway, uh, Nautel.com, uh, check it out and check out the GV series of transmitters. They're very popular and there's good reasons why they are. Stay tuned because we will let you know when Transmission Talk Tuesday comes around for more shows that you can participate in as a roundtable uh, in February. Thanks, Nautel, for sponsoring this week in Radio Tech. All right, let's jump right into our topic with Frank Fody. Uh, Frank, it, and I know you were working on it before you showed it to me because you had it just about perfected, but I visited your office a few years ago before COVID hit, and you were telling me about uh, some surround sound, and I, 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 I hesitate to call it upmixing because you know, upmixing can be just filling channels, and this is a lot different than filling channels. Tell me what we're talking about, please. Well, I mean, in many ways, Kirk, um, it is upmixing. And before I get into that aspect, 
I think it's probably worth sharing how it all came about. Um, many years ago, probably 15 to 20 years ago, Steve Church and I started doing some work with regard to what we felt would have um, given HD radio like a real wonderful wow factor. Because, you know, it's to my view that, you know, HD radio, when you switch from conventional FM to HD, I mean, okay, there's a little bit of a change in the texture, but there's not like a wow factor. You know, HD television, when we went from 525, you know, lines of resolution to what we have, that was a wow factor. And the reason I say this is that we had come to learn that Fraunhofer in Germany had come up with a way to uh, pack 5.1 audio into a uh, two-channel stream by encapsulating the surround cues in his metadata, and then on the, the you know then on the receiver side, you basically put it all back together, and it's discrete 5.1 audio. Well, at that time, the music industry and the CD or the you know um, platform industry was uh, try to promote SACDs and DVD audio discs where they were selling, you know, discrete surround sound material. So we did this work and we had it working. And uh, uh, with the idea to, you know, put this in the HD radio system. And then lo and behold, the music industry decided to scrap SACDs and DVD audio discs. Meanwhile, we got to thinking, look, even if there isn't enough stuff there, in content, you know, if you're going to broadcast in surround, you need to have everything in surround. So we started looking into ways of coming up with, you know, uh, what would be, you know, you used the term up mixing, um, some application to do this. Fraunhofer came up with something and it, it worked okay. It sounded kind of weird, if, if I may say so. And other people, you know, and you think back all the way to the 1970s when those, you know, what we would refer to as, you know, quadraphonic audio, it was basically just um, a matrix methods utilizing, you know, either phasing or time delay or reverb or things of that nature to create this effect. And what we're doing is not that, or I'm to, you know, bring the story around full circle, uh, I had this idea that if, you know, given the given stereo audio as your, as your source, you know, when we listen in stereo, you know, we have the left channel, the right channel, and then, you know, most music is recorded if there's a vocal where the vocal is coming out of the center. Well, we all know that in stereo there is no center per se. There's no center speaker. It's what we call a, you know, like a, a virtual center. So I started thinking if there's a way that I could take the stereo, take stereo and derive an actual center channel signal, then I can, you know, use that along with the existing stereo material to come up with, you know, left surround, left front, right surround, right front. And, uh, basically, that's what we do. Um, now, what took so long was, um, while I had the idea, probably 
10, 15 years ago was, you know, the 1956 tube model brain here to come up with the mechanism on how to do it. And um, once I did, then it then it's like, you know, um, things kind of took off from there. And um, it's, it's, it's pretty exciting. You know, I mean, the best thing I can tell you guys is that um, there was a period that I was working really hard on it. And it was about a two-week period. And I'd hit, I'd, I was pulling a lot of all-nighters at the office and sleeping on the couch and things of that nature. And it was a Friday afternoon. And I got it working to where, you know, everything was falling into place. And I was dead tired. And I'm like, okay, it's great. Just turn it off. Go home. Take a shower. Get you know, get get some sleep. Come back and play with it tomorrow. I was so excited. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. I was so excited. I literally sat in my office downtown Cleveland and played with the doggone thing till about two o'clock in the morning. I'm like, you know, put the who on. You know what? How does you know Bob O'Reilly sound? How do the Beatles sound? How does this sound? And I I was, you know, you know, as a developer. You're always struggling with yourself because you hear things and you think, oh, yeah, that's really cool. That's really great. But, you know, or then you have to come back and say, well, is it? You know, I mean, am I just fooling myself? And um, it wasn't until like the following week at the office where I would drag in a handful of, um, you know, our coworkers. I remember, you know, Kirk, you had a chance to hear it. Our buddy Jake Alderman, he was working in Cleveland at the time. Uh, he had, you know, he came in and, uh, Greg Shea's son, Brian Kane, you know, all these, they came in and they're like, Frank, wow, that's amazing. And that's when I figured, okay, you know, if some of the, some of our crew think it's got legs, well, maybe it does. And then, um, not long thereafter, I had reason to be in our office in Minnesota, at Minnetonka. And while I was there, um, our friend Gary Katz, the producer of Steely Dan, happened to be there. We were working on some stuff. And I asked Gary, you know, I said, look, I've been working on this thing, blah, blah, blah. You know, based on all the work you've, you know, you know, award-winning work you've done with Steely Dan, you know, I, I, I'd appreciate some feedback. And, oh, by the way, if it sucks, just it's okay. You can't hurt my feeling. And... Gary gave it the thumbs up, and um, he, but he basically said, "Look, as a producer, I can tell you about different elements, this, that, or the other thing. When I'm not technical, like like you are, and if you're looking for like some technical feedback, I can get you that." I'm like, all right, and he said it'll involve a plane ride. Okay. Next thing you know, a few weeks later, Gary and I are on a plane to London. And we end up at this little old building and. St. John's Wood, some of you may know as Abbey Road, and we're demoing it for Giles Martin and Hugh Padgham and a host of other well-known, you know, uh, recording engineers, producers, to which they're like, Frank, this is pretty cool. I, you know, man, and Hugh Padgham, you know, who's got a long, you know, laundry list of success. Uh, I'd been out to dinner with him the night before because he's an old friend of Gary's. And Hugh, you know, I, I think I think we all had been. Let, let's just say we dipped into the oil a little bit. And Hugh had said, "You know, Frank, uh, I'm enjoying our conversation, but I've I've heard a lot of these gizmos, and quite honestly, they all suck." And I said, "Well, Hugh, I I agree with you." He said, "So I'm going into this thing tomorrow, 
a bit jaded. He said, "All right," and and I, I and I, but I told him, I said, "Look, if it, you know, as a developer, if you don't like it, you can't hurt my feelings because all you're doing is you're giving me information on what I got to go back and work on." And I'm telling you this because um, as we were leaving that the, the restaurant that night, I said, "Oh, I said, let's stack the deck." I said, um, "Give me." some music that you want to hear. He goes, oh, that's easy. He goes, my reference song, if I'm listening in a new studio, set of speakers, what have you, is the police every breath you take. Fair, fair enough. So the next day, we get everything set up at Abbey Road, which was, you know, that in and of itself is probably worth a whole other episode, which was, you know, how, you know, how did some snot-nosed kid from Wycliffe, Ohio get to go to Abbey Road? Um, and... Hugh comes in, we kill the song, we play it, and he's he's literally walking, you know, to each speaker. And there were these amazing Bowers and Wilkins speakers. I'd never heard anything so, excuse my language, damn good in my life. And he's listening, and he's got a furled brow, and I'm, and I'm thinking, oh, boy, you're about to get your ass kicked. <laughs> and when the song ended, he came over next to me, and he took his elbow, and he jabbed it in my side, and he just went, what the? F did you do? I said, why? He goes, that's unbelievable. That's unbelievable. Can we play more stuff? I said, Hugh, I didn't come all the way to London to play one song. So we had all afternoon. Uh, I think this, we started at about 2 o'clock. And um, we sat there for hours with Hugh Padgham, Gary Katz, myself. There were people from the BBC and others. And we just kept throwing music at this thing. I mean, stuff I'd done, but watching them um, and the coup de grace, and then I'll shut up, was, you know, these famous people, they, um, it's kind of, again, I'll use the word surreal because they talk about other famous people. Like I'd say, oh, Kirk and Chris, you, you know, and uh, Hugh says, he goes, you know, Phil and I did, you know, we used to do a lot of work with George. I'm thinking, Phil. Phil Collins, you know, because he produced Phil Collins in Genesis. Again, George. George Martin, you know, this was because all this was had happened maybe a couple years after Mr. Martin had passed away. He said, he goes, and you know, all time we've been here, we haven't listened to anything from the boys. So at Abbey Road, we pull up and played Golden Slumbers from the album Abbey Road. And gentlemen, I'm not ashamed to tell you the following. The room we were in had this vaulted ceiling with skylights, and we're listening to the song, and I'd listened to Abby, the album through the, the system many times. But at that facility, I looked up through those skylights, and I said to myself, to the souls of Mr. Martin, Mr. Lennon, and Mr. Harrison, gentlemen, I pray that I'm not, I'm not offending you, and when I looked down, I had tears coming down because you could have heard a pin drop in that room. It was one of those like religious, surreal experiences because we were listening to their material in surround sound that was done at that building, you know, many years prior. So, um, you know, you know, beyond having people hear it, um, I, you know, I mean, I, you know, I'm happy to talk, go into more detail about things that you guys might want to know about, but, you know, that's that's the long and short of how the thing is, uh, came, came to become 
what's known as deja vu, you know, with, with, with this little venture that myself and a couple other colleagues have created known as Syndicate of Sound. Frank, this is, this is uh, I'm on the edge of my chair, literally. This is really good info. I love the storytelling and the information, and we're going to hear more in a minute. I want to hear about the Syndicate of Sound, and, and you know, how is this being applied now? How are you lighting up people's minds and ears and smiles and hearts uh, in, in actually putting this technology to use? We have, we're going to take a quick break. Our show is brought to you in part by, well, some other friends in, uh, in England, and that is uh, our friends at Bion- Broadcast Bionics. Uh, Chris Tarr and, uh, and me and Frank Fodier, along with you here on this episode of This Week in Radio Tech. We'll be right back after this. Welcome to the Bionic Studio. The Bionic Studio brings all audience interaction to the fingertips of a production team in radio, TV, and podcast. Our workflow-led system is working 24-7 around the world for small broadcasters and national and international networks. Our telephony module, Bionic Talk Show, allows cost-effective centralization, remote operation, scalability, and resilience across an entire network of stations, but at the same time is used in single-studio self-op environments. Social media curation and activity is now considered a broadcast-critical part of programming. Bionic Social means the studio isn't overwhelmed with a wall of interaction from an ever-growing number of social platforms. We combine SMS, MMS, and email together with a speech-to-text service for listeners using smart speakers. We enable studio teams to curate, filter, and display all platforms in one place and post text, images, and video content to multiple platforms in one operation. Effortless collection of video content with Bionic Director has helped position some of the world's most successful stations as leaders in viral content, generating appointments to listen and free marketing via retweets and shares. Bionic Contest enables end-to-end tracking of on-air competitions, live reads, and prizes. These could be on-air contests, automated SMS entry, or online. Anywhere and Skype TX for Radio brings high-quality audio and video contribution into the studio with ease. No need for dedicated PCs to run different applications. Everything is controlled within the Bionic Studio UI. And incoming connections are visible to users along with all other platforms. Our codec integration enables connection, algorithm configuration and directory to a wide range of IP and ISDN codecs. The Bionic Studio, a unique suite of products designed to enable your talent to work smarter. Wow, the Bionic Studio will really help you make better content and not work any harder. Check them out at bionics.co.uk or check their links out here in the show notes of this show on YouTube or on Facebook. Check it out. Uh, Thanks a lot. Broadcast Bionics for sponsoring this week in Radio Tech. Kirk Harnack here in Lauderdale-by-the-Sea in Florida. I'm at the Plunge Beach Resort taking a few days off. Almost done with vacation, though, and back uh, back at work in the office in Nashville. Chris Tarr is here from McWanago, Wisconsin, where it's gotten a bit warmer. Uh, and Frank Foti is our guest. Frank is talking about a new project he's been working on, actually, for years. And things are really uh, uh, coming into fruition, amazingly, even during COVID. And uh, and here, as we get out of COVID, uh, he's got some experiences to tell about. Frank! Um, wow, I started hearing about these listening parties, for lack of a better term, that you were doing. Would you like to, like to tell us about, about that? Sure. Um, about a year ago, here in the Cleveland area, 
Um, one of my uh, cohorts in this little venture, a buddy by the name of Mark Tennant, uh, who's part of Syndicate of Sounds, Mark had an idea of what, you know, would could we apply the tech in a live venue or, or like in a, a nightclub? I mean, the, the short answer is we could apply it basically anywhere. And so um, we got together with a, a, a nightclub here in Cleveland called the Music Box. And uh, Mark and I went down um, and met with a gentleman by the name of Mike Miller, who's the owner of the Music Box, and explained what, you know, what our tech does. And Mike said, is there any way you can come down and we can do a, a test in our auditorium? Said, sure. So we went down. They set up, you know, speaker system. We got it running. And, um, you know, and I, I think I think we used Golden Slumbers uh, to demo the system. And Mike right away was like, that's amazing. He's like, "That that's unbelievable. So, um, yeah, I, I, the idea that came about by way of Mike and Mark was to create like these listening parties. And we've done probably, well, I don't know, 10 or so where we've taken like a classic album or a couple at each event and we present them, um, in, you know, this upmixed fashion and, we, you know, our tech we call deja vu. And the reason being is it's like hearing your favorite music for the first time all over again. So the first one we did, um, which was last February, we did a wonderful evening where we presented the Steely Dan album, Asia. And then we did Katie Lied. And the reason we did Asia, um, was on account of, uh, as I was working on all this tech, I, I was having lunch with Gary Katz one day. You know, Gary was their longtime producer and produced Asia. And I was telling him about the things that Steve and I were, had tried to do with HD radio and of which I had purchased like Gaucho and Nightfly and Comicuriad. And I said, Gary, you know, all this stuff, those albums exist in 5.1. Why not Asia? Probably the, most famous Steely Dan album of all. And Gary, who kind of like just deadpanned it, and he goes, never happened. I'm thinking, there's got to be a reason why. You know what I mean? We mean never happened. He goes, impossible. I'm like, Gary, I don't mean to pry, but now you've got my hackles up, not to argue, but, you know, you don't mind sharing. Why is that? And what ended up happening was the last album that the band owed their original record label abc dunhill uh was what be was ended up being asia and when they finished all the production on it donald fagan there were seven songs on the album donald fagan said to walter becker i'm going to take four of the multi-track masters home you take the other three and we'll keep them for posterity well, Walter Becker at the time was living in a beachfront home in Santa Monica, California, and he had like a storage area in the floorboard of his house, and he shoved the tapes in this floorboard. Well, most of us, you know, if you've got radio engineers on this, 
or any engineers, you know that salt air doesn't treat things very nicely. Well, the salt air actually destroyed um, the master tapes to um, uh, the song Asia and what is it? I think Black Friday, you know, the first song on the album. So because of that, they don't have all of the multi-tracks to redo something in surround. So on account of that, I'm like, let's do Asia. And and we did. And our guest that night, we brought him in by way of Zoom, was Gary Katz. And Gary was on with us for about 45 minutes telling just the most wonderful stories about some of the makings of Asia, some, you know, interesting things about the band Steely Dan. And, and I can honestly tell you guys, because I was sitting on stage with Mike Miller because we talked about how everything was going to work. The, the, the place was packed, was sold out, and people's jaws were literally hitting the floor as Gary's telling these great stories about, you know, various songs on Asia. And it, 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 it was heartwarming. And then, and then we, you know, presented the album and, um, beforehand we, because we talked to Gary, we said, so Gary, we, you know, we're doing Asia. What's your favorite Steely Dan album? We'll play that in surround. He goes, oh, that's easy. Please play Katie Lied. So that was the second one we did. And then, like I said, we've done a, a, a number of them more. The last of which was a, another one of those, you know, that just kind of gives you that, like, larger-than-life experience. We did... um Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band and Revolver. And uh that was the, the the place was packed and people were like just beside themselves because they were listening to the Beatles again in in a way that they've never heard before. And it was, you know, I mean, I I literally was at the venue for an hour after everything was done, because people just wanted to talk about like, you know, I, I heard things in the song Tomorrow Never Knows that I'd never heard before and blah, 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 this and blah, 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 that. And, and I have to tell you guys, when, when you see people light up in a wonderful way, you know, that, and they're touched by the sonic experience that, you know, it, um, it's truly better than a paycheck or it is. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I've always felt that, you know, it's like, you know, even, even with like, you know, our audio processing stuff. And I see some program director or station manager or engineer. Get all excited being because of the sound that's coming out of their radio and, and our product had something to do with it. That's, that's what matters most for me. And this whole little deja vu thing, you know, syndicate of sounds, um, and it, you know, it, it, it's really heartwarming to say it modestly. Frank, I, I'd love to spend a few more minutes talking about this, this emotional experience of hearing something so familiar like a song you, you know, i was a disc jockey people ask me do you like this song do you like that song from the 70s or the 80s well i liked it the first million times after that it got a little old right and i think a lot of disc jockeys kind of feel that way and i know you frank have listened to some songs and even parts of songs over and over and over again to get an algorithm oh, just yeah. right well but th- this 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 concept of the joy that we feel when we experience something the same but a little better and it and music is such an emotional field anyway but when we experience music in a better way than we've ever heard it before 
it's to me it's especially touching and, and i'll 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 crank it back over to you in a sec but uh and i won't take long to tell us one years ago i got off a plane in cleveland ohio one night to come to telos and it was probably a sunday night i got off a plane and this was before uber and lyft were popular yet so i was still renting cars and so i'm i, I got the rental car and I get in, and I, I crank up whatever rock station it was still. It was probably NCX uh, in Cleveland. Probably. And, and they were playing a Fleetwood Mac song. I don't remember which one. And I thought, wow, I've never heard this song quite like this before. I love the way this sounds. And, and so I, I got into the, the, the office the next day. And I honestly, I don't remember if I, asked, if I was asking uh, you or Mark Manolio or maybe Cornelius Gould. But ask somebody, hey, does, is NCX using a, our, our new processor, the, the new Omnia 6, back when that was new? And, and they said, well, yeah, uh, we, we, put, we put it on there. <laughs> That's what they're running. And I thought, oh, my gosh. I just heard you know, a, a Fleetwood Mac song like I'd never heard it before, and it was amazing. And it made my heart jump. It thrilled my head. And honestly, Frank, I, heard, I felt the same way when I first heard the Omni 11, and then the same way when I heard the Omni 11 with the G-Force in it, and, uh, uh, you know, Omnia 9's got its own nice characteristics, too, and I, I'd like for you to give me your thoughts, and, and Chris, please, feel welcome to jump in, too, but your thoughts on why this is so good for the human heart and, and mind and even soul to hear something new and, like, better, like, oh, my gosh, that sounds good. Well, Kirk, you know, um you're touching on something that is real. I mean, um, I've had this discussion with other professional engineers, one of which is um, a Grammy Award winner, uh, Frank Filippetti, uh, who's also heard this tech. Um, and, and I'll share, by way of Frank, an audio processing story um, to the same thing, that, you know, there's something that when you're, when you're presenting something, and it just kind of like, uh, I don't want to say consumes you, but it, but in its own intimate way comes in and just gives you this feeling of, you know, I know this is a cliche word, but like warmth or joy that, you know, there, good things are happening there. And Frank told me a story. And then by the way, this is probably one of the reasons why that helped. You know, and it's it's a background thing, mind you. I was not the program director of the talent. But probably the things that helped Z100 because we, you know, we put, you know, a lot of what Omnia is, is the original Z100 sound. And Frank Filippetti told me this story once. He said, you know, he said, he goes, in 1985, you and I knew each other, but we didn't know each other. I said, I, I, I don't. I, you know, you got me there, my friend. You know, we're, we're both Italian and our initials are FF. You know, he's FF1, I'm FF2. And he was telling me this story because, you know, some of the artists he's produced, like one of which was Carly Simon. Um, I happened to be at Frank's house and we were evaluating this tech. Uh, he said, Frank, Carly was sitting right where you're at and we were mixing. We we're doing a final mix on some song or some album that she, that they were working on. And they're listening and listening, and she kept going, no, Frank, that's not it. No, Frank, that's not it. So after about an hour, after he'd been playing with the EQ and the, you know, whatever level of processing and all that kind of stuff, she said, come with me. And he said, okay. And he, they got up, and they went and they got in her car, and she turned the radio on, and she goes, 
make my record sound like this. And it was Z100. It was the, the station that I, and, and the point is, you know, Carly knew nothing about production or audio processing or anything like that, but there was something coming over the radio that captured her. And Frank said, you know, he goes, he goes, he goes, you know, I, I sat there and I listened with her and she was right. There was something about it that was larger than life. And, and even there were some comments made. You know, about a year ago, the, the this documentary came out about Z100 called, you know, uh, From Worst to First, The True Story of uh, Z100, New York. And they talk about the audio. You know, Tom Pullman, who's, you know, way up there at iHeart, said, you know, there's something magical about the sound of this radio station. You know, and he's talking about, you know, when it was back in the day and yours truly was, you know, um, cutting his teeth on designing processing stuff in New York City. And Tom was a, a college student at Cornell University. But, you know, for people to just become um, in, in rapture with what they're hearing, there's something there. And, and I will tell you guys this, that, um, you know, Steve and I, church, we, we would always talk about things of that, that nature of like, you know, you're working on something, an algorithm or or some application that you're trying to achieve and you're working on it to the point of where it, you know, where, where it's almost like you feel like you can't live without it, you know? And, um, that's why, you know, when I got the, this thing working, I ended up sitting in my office dead tired till two o'clock in the morning because it just, oh, sure. It was great listening to Bob O'Reilly coming all around me, but there was something beside it that just made, that just gave me like this ethereal feeling. You know, and um, and I'm not going to sit here and tell you that it's like the Shunmook disc, or 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 or, or I ran like you know a green sharpie around the edge of the CD. You know, it it, it probably comes down to the attention to detail. Um, probably the uh, what what can I put like the the magic, if you will. You know, without sitting here and going into all the minute details as to how the algorithms work, the things that give it this emotionally beneficial sound. And and I will tell you, then I'll, you know, shut up, is that maybe that's the reason why through all the years in either evaluating the sound of a radio station I was either working for or developing things or a competitor, be it competing radio station or competitor's processor, where where you you'd hit something and go boom something's wrong there, you don't know why, but it is an emotional experience. And by the way, guys, I've done it in like developing stuff for myself. It's like you know I'll you know I'll say oh you know by design it all looks great and you know you get it going and then then it's like whoa you know um I think we need you know it it, it needs attention something's not right there and and it's not until you get this you know where where it gives you that warm fuzzy. Then you know you're onto something. So I, I apologize that I'm not offering up any, you know, technical details as to why, but but there's something to it. There is something to the psychological, you know, the, that whole phrase of psychoacoustic. It it it, it it's real. Um, and you know, I, it, and by the way, it's affected all of us. Kirk, you had you know your story about WNCX, and I'm Chris. I'm sure you 
you probably have a you know a handful of them yourself and um you know when you're able to achieve that it's like achieving like an audio nirvana if you will we're, we're gonna uh take a break in a second uh chris tar though i wonder if you might relate to us in in 30 seconds or less uh your experience with uh audio processing of dead air and how somebody uh <laughs> like that what, what was that what, what happened yeah. We, we, when we put in uh, our first Omni 11, uh, we had the program director. I didn't tell him what was going on. I just put it in and started, you know, playing with it. And he comes, you know, running down the hall. What did you do? What did you do? And, you know, so we, we were, you know, I told him the, you know, the story and I went down to his office and we were talking. He's like, man, that thing even makes silence sound good. But, uh, <laughs> you know, to, to relate to what, what Frank was saying, um, you know, I'm not a loud guy. I, I don't, you know, I, I, we're, we're in a competitive market, but I really don't like to process for loudness. I like to, I like to have drama, I guess is the best way to put it. And one of my coworkers, uh, when I first uh, started working with, with Dave Magnum and Magnum Media, they had an 11 that was kind of set, you know, by somebody who was just playing with knobs. And I came in and I did some tweaking and the word he used was, it was an experience. He's like, I just, I turned it on and I smiled. It was like, it was like this experience. And to me, that that's kind of the greatest compliment. It's not louder than everybody else, but you definitely know when right. you're listening to it. And, and I think that, you know, when we, listen, we live in the days of MP3s and earbuds and everything else, you know, when you can tune something or create something that, you know, allows you to experience the music and experience the nuances in the music, I think it's when you start hitting home runs. You know, Kirk, if I could share along those lines, years ago we had a, a, a situation in Boston where the uh, fine arts station, WCRB, they put an 11 on the air, and their program director, wanted, he said to me, set it up as if you're processing the Moody Blues, Nights in White Satin. So he did. And literally, CRB was on par with the album rock station in loudness. We're, we're going for loudness. And... um Tony Riddell's the program director. And about three weeks later, he calls me up and he said, he goes, I need you to come back to Boston. And I thought maybe something was wrong. I said, sure, why? What's up? He said, the gentleman, because CRB is publicly funded. He said, the gentleman that's our um, uh, top fun uh, donor to the radio station and is and has like a, you know, um, a technically trained ear, He'd, he'd always call up Tony and say, this sounds good, this sounds bad, whatnot, so forth. The guy called him up and said, wow, I want to compliment you on the sound of WCRB because I want to thank you for finally getting rid of that goddamn audio processing. And Tony said, what are you talking about? He goes, we're using processing. He said, no, you're not. He said, he goes, I'm listening to the Boston Symphony, and it's perfect. It's absolutely perfect. And Tony said, no, he said, we have a different audio processor on the air. And the guy goes, I don't believe you. So I, I and Mary Ann Seidler, you know, one of our coworkers, we went to Boston and we went to dinner with this gentleman. He was a wonderful man. And, and he sat there, we were having this Italian meal. And he's like, he said, there's not processing on WCRB. I said, oh, yes, there is. <laughs> and now, <laughs> why did that happen? Because all the things we're talking about happened. You know, if you get it all just right, and Chris, you're right, it doesn't have to be the damn loudest thing on the dial. If it creates a nice experience and gives you that illusion that it's nice and exciting, 
You've won. You've won. So we, uh, we're going to take uh, our next break here. Uh, Chris Tarr is going to help me out in a minute. And when we come back, Frank, I, you know, I don't know how much you can reveal, how much it would be over our heads. or uh, uh, But, you know, when, when you showed me, uh, when you demonstrated your, your up 5.1 up mixing to me uh, a, a couple, three years ago, um, you you did kind of lay out a little bit of, of a graphic as to what was going on, and 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 I'm I'm not expecting a graphic now, but I'm I'm wondering if you could give us an idea of of how software looks at audio and then makes decisions about what to do. So I, I don't know anything about how that works, and I think you know not not a not a computer code uh, treatise, but something about well, Kirk, the software you know looks for these characteristics. And then it breaks it up into these things, and then it makes decisions about it compares the left and the right, and it how much is here, how much is there, and how much correlates, and how much doesn't. I'd, I'd like to know some of that thing, if if you can describe any of it without giving away any any secrets that you can't give away. And I, I get that. Not that I can recreate any, you know, anything you're talking about. So I, I'd like to understand that from Frank when he comes back. I'll let Frank stew on that and see what he what he what he can divulge. Uh, this week in Radio Tech is brought to you in part by Broadcasters General Store. And, uh, hey, I'm just down the road from BGS. They're great folks. And uh, something you can get at BGS is Broadcast Tools. You know Broadcast Tools has made boxes that you need to solve problems for years. I mean, 20-plus years ago, I was using Broadcast Tools products to switch satellite channels. Back when the satellite receivers available had, like, one audio output, and yet we received, you know, four different shows from one receiver, and we had to switch amongst those different shows. They make all kinds of things now that, that I use at some of my stations, and Chris Tarr is using something as well. Chris, I think you're using some silent sensors that have a nice web interface and, and can alert you and that kind of thing. Uh, what, what do you, what's going on with, with you and broadcast tools? Oh, that's just one of, I mean, I have so many broadcast tools gadgets. I have their uh, web uh, remote control for remote controlling one of my sites. Uh, while I'm getting the uh, the Burke stuff rolled out. But the silent sensors that they have now, the web-based silent sensors, are just fantastic. They've got Studio Hub connectors in the back. Uh, they have level indicators on the front and in the software. So you can log in. And, you know, it used to be, like, with some of these um, silent sensor stuff where you just had a red light to kind of show peaks or whatever. And, you know, you really wouldn't be able to tell if you're, you know, well into that level or just at it, you know, and a quiet song would play and trip your silent sensor off or whatever. This actually has a graph so you can monitor, you know, how your levels are going in so you can make sure not to get false alarms. Um, as you can see from the picture there, if you don't use uh, the Studio Hub, they also have the terminal blocks, uh, the Phoenix connectors. Uh, but, you know, for a place like mine where I use all Axia gear, to be able to just go right from the back of a node into the back of the, the broadcast tool switch is awesome. It took me literally five minutes to set up monitoring for four stations. And then you can do relay closures for alerts. You can do email. Uh, you can do web alerts, all kinds of different things. So super, super flexible. And I'll tell you what, for uh, the, the the functionality and for the flexibility, I don't think you can do any better at a better price. It is just a, it's a great little piece of gear. Can't hear you, Kirk. Uh, sorry about that. Uh, Don Wingett makes a number of different uh, tools, like, uh, like a lot, and uh, you need to try them out. Check them out. Uh, you can go to the Broadcast Tools website, and you can get all that from Broadcasters General Store. They're in Ocala, Florida. These are good, good people. I mean, they are on top of the industry. They keep on top of trends. They work really hard 
and I should know. I mean, I, I'm I'm with Telus Alliance uh, uh, Broadcast General Store uh, represents Telus Alliance and and Axian and Omni and Telus and our, a lot of our brands, and we regularly are in touch with them, doing training and keeping them up to date on our product line. So uh, I know these are good folks that that can give you good advice as well. As and they are very good about telling you how long something is going to take to deliver, whether it's available overnight, a few days, or it might be a month before you can get something. So Broadcast General Store is the place to check that out. Uh, BGS.cc is the website, BGS.cc. Thanks a lot to uh, Shane Finch and uh, Jessica and everybody at Broadcasters General Store. Thanks for sponsoring the show, too. Okay. Now, uh, Frank, I kind of set you up, and I, I hope I didn't uh, step out of my lane there and ask you to describe, uh, you know, how does software or some of your algorithms, how, how do they look at incoming audio and make decisions as to what to do? What's that process about? Quote, in this broadcast business, if I explain it all through you, I might have to kill you because you wait there by a big body of water and you'll sleep with the fishes. Um, reality Oh, no, is, Il Padrino uh, speaks. There you go. There you go. I got my, I got my couple regime, Chris, over here. He'll be taking care of the family business later tonight. Um, actually, Kirk. To answer your question, um, the things we're capable of doing with software are, and this I can say with certainty, um, we could not even possibly do it in the analog world. Uh, we have the capability of uh, taking a look, you know, taking a picture of an audio signal, um, determining how many channels there are, like in this case, incoming you have stereo and um and in doing so we have um a a linear process that's able to look at left and right and determine what is uh like like like, like what i would call hard left meaning only in the left channel hard right only in the right channel what could be thought to be uh, left front, right front, and center. And the software is able to um, parse all of that uh, into the individual, let's say, realms and um, route it to those individual channels. Um, the, you know, what's interesting is after I got this thing going, uh, we looked into and, and process is patented um a funny thing happened one night and this usually happens to me um, i was driving home and i said you know what would happen if since i'm taking two dissimilar signals and i'm looking for something similar isolated what if i were to take like processed audio where i've got something similar and dissimilar run it through the same mechanism, what does it yield? Lo and behold, gentlemen, it yields like precision peak control and um, where all the harmonic distortion is like eliminated. I don't say totally eliminated, but let's say it's suppressed by at least 60 to 70 dB. So this little gizmo, which is called deja vu, also has found its way into 
what'll become some uh, new things for Omnia processing going forward. So, but to answer your question, Kirk, is, you know, it, the things are being done in the software world. They're not, and, and the other thing I will tell you is that this is not a mechanism that's, that, that has to, um, make decisions and say, oh, the vocals, you know, I'm hearing a guitar here. I'm going to stick it over here. It's happening based on supporting the artistic integrity of the original stereo production. So, um, whereas, you know, one of the things that when I've listened to other upmixers where they do play games with either switching or time delay or phasing, um, you know, things of that nature, you'll hear things get moved to where they don't belong. This doesn't do that. It, it, it's, it supports the artistic integrity of, of how the original performance was put together. That is something I'd like to uh, spend a couple more minutes on, Frank. Um, we've, we've, uh, you know, back in the boy, back in the days when I was in high school and hanging out at a Radio Shack store, they had, you know, we had quad uh, vinyl, right? And, and 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 there was all kinds of tricks played to, to fill up speakers and kind of make it sound like separate audio was coming there. And Frank, you, you've I've seen you give some papers on some of the techniques to uh, simulate four and five dot one sound and that kind of thing. And, and, and a lot of it is just not satisfying because you know it's not what the artist intended. So would you talk a bit more, and maybe you've got an anecdote ab- about this, um, uh, why what you're doing is, is, has been satisfying to the artists, uh, uh, all who have heard it so far? Well, um, Kirk, when, when, we, when I made the visit to Abbey Road, um, a friend of ours, you know, by way of audio processing, a gentleman by the name of David Perot, who has done some amazing work in Paris and in, and in France, in Europe, actually, came up because he wanted to hear it. And he, David, does a lot of work with the um, alternative artist Jean-Michel Jarre. And David said, you know, Frank, we've got to find a way to have Jean-Michel hear this. I said, okay. So a few months later, I happened to be in Paris and I met up with David and we went to Jean-Michel's studio where at the time he was working on putting together a uh, box set to commemorate 50 years of performing. And um, Jean-Michel in his studio, because he does a lot of work in surround. Um, so everything was set up and we we're playing some of his music through it. And he told me something that I, at the time I found hard to believe. He said, Frank, on this particular song, we're achieving something through the upmixer that I've not been able to achieve when I've taken the, you know, 16 or 24 track master tapes and tried to remix them for 5.1. Something's happening here in a very good way through your process. And, and it's, and it's in the right places, but I wasn't able to do that given the Baldy tracks. So, you know, I, I, you know, I mean, maybe had more time been spent with the multi tracks, maybe could have been done. But to Jean Michel, it's like, wow, I can take stuff that has already been done in stereo and come up with something that's presented um, in a manner that is artistically and production correct and is uh, appealing and appeasing to the artist. 
Um, and Jean-Michel was not the only one to say this. About a year later, I happened to be back at Bo- in Boston, and we were at WCRB, and um, Greg Hawks, who was the keyboard player for the Cars, um, somehow one of our, my Marianne knew Greg and, uh, guy had, you know, we asked Greg his opinion and he too, he's like, wow, this is amazing. How, you know, you're achieving something that doesn't sound mechanical, doesn't sound fake. It's, it's musical. It's natural. And everything is, is in the, in the places that I would have intended had I sat down to remix the original from the Molly tracks to put it in surround sound. So, you know, um, I, I, you know, when, when, when people are, are telling me or us this, um, without asking, I, 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 I guess we've got something working in the way that we wanted to. Well, that, that's amazing to hear, hear from artists and have them tell you that it sounds, it sounds musical. It sounds the way that they would have intended. And I think, you know, Frank, that that's always been one of your specialties is to using your ears and your brain and, and keep things sounding musical, not just looking for loud. And, and yes, you're known for loud, but you're also known for keeping it very, very musical and with integrity to the original music and the original sound and yeah, to make it pleasing to human ears so we can listen for a long you know, time. And um, You know, Kirk, I know what last episode or a few episodes ago you guys had um good friend of mine and colleague Cornelius Gould on and Corny's uh got this wonderful little box, the C four, and I you know, the early returns uh and feedback on his effort is much the same. And I think it's because both Corny and I share the same view and perspective and how we go about dealing with audio signals and signal processing and effect, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, it is an effect, you know, I mean, I'm not going to debate that. Um, but what you, when you're able to achieve um, sonic performance that um, raises the bar, I know it's a cliche term, I'm sorry, but, but I believe we've done that. And the feedback from people has been that, um, you know, I think it comes down to just having this feeling inside yourself of like, okay, I, you know, I can get it here. I can get it to be quote unquote good enough, but I don't, but good enough is not acceptable, you know? And one of the reasons why I, I've, I've always felt honored to work with Gary Katz is, you know, years ago, Steve and I were out to dinner one night, and this is probably the early days of when we were doing the uh, MP3 work with the Zephyr. And, and we said, you know, if, if there was like somebody in the music industry that we would want to, you know, have ourselves judged or get feedback from, who would it be? You know, where somebody that, you know, the, the, the technical quality and the performance was like second to none. And, on, you know, universally, we both said Steely Dan, you know, and, and to be able to get kind of like stamps of approval from that camp, you know, I don't think it gets much better than that. You know, I mean, it's, or, or, or to have someone like Carly Simon tell her producer, 
I want to sound like this, right. you know, like that's right. You know, I mean, so that's not me. That's not me saying, you know, yes, use our device or our application because we're telling you it's better and we're, and we've got stuff on a website and market, you know, we've got great marketers and all that. And, and I'm honored for that. But when people unbeknown, beknownst and without question on their own come forward and say, Hey, this is the thing you want to be listening to. At that point, it's like, you know what, Frank, just shut up and go play with your trains. <laughs> Frank Foti is our guest on This Week in Radio Tech. We've got, got just a few more minutes left in the show. Chris Tarr is along, too, my uh, amazing co-host, and I'm so glad that he's feeling better. And, Chris, now that you're feeling better, maybe you can tell us something about a product that you're using in your studios. Uh, I you, I may call it the, the, the casino I've won gizmo, but what do you call there it? There you go. Well, it's studio lights is really the best way to put it. Um, I was talking to Catfish not that long ago, and you know, with winter here, now is the time when a lot of people are doing studio work. They're building studios, remodeling studios, and we got to talking about uh, the yellow tech lights. And, you know, Catfish's exact words, because, you know, he's a good guy. He said, listen, if you have the budget for them, they're gorgeous. They are fantastic. And I was like, yeah, they really are. I like them a lot, but they are pricey. And he said, well, you know, if you're looking for something a little more affordable and you don't need them to look as nice with the brushed aluminum and everything, uh, Angry Audio has a product, too. It's very similar to that, uh, except they use the black ABS plastic. And it's the Studio Signal Light by Angry Audio. And as you can see, they're stackable. They have multiple colors. They are just like uh, the other product that way, just a little more affordable because of how they're designed. And if you're not, um, you know, looking for that brushed aluminum, really, you know, that premium look, these are a great alternative to that. And even better, uh, Angry Audio sells, of course they do, they sell a gizmo for that. Uh, or the, I'm sorry, the gadget for that, the Studio Signal Light gadget. Uh, one of the things that I found, I you know, I put in a, a stack of Yellow Tech lights uh, probably 10 years ago now, and I remember trying to get all the GPIO set up with the relays and the power, and it was really hard to do. Um, Angry Audio has the Studio Signal Light gadget, and what that is is that plugs directly into those lights, and you can control the colors and the options and what they do using the box. And of course it interfaces with, uh, with Axia and I believe with, um, with Wheatstone as well. And it powers the lights and it controls the colors. And if they're flashing or steady on steady off, and these work with other lights too, you don't have to use them with just the angry audio lights. You can use them with the yellow tech lights as well. And it makes wiring these things up so much easier. So again, a great little gadget. And uh, of course the lights which are really good. I, you know, I'm, I'm such a fan of those lights and I agree with, with, uh, with what Catfish is saying is, you know, if you've got the budget to build it out and you're making showcase studios, you can't do worse than those. Um, you know, they, or you can't do better than those, I should say, because they are just fantastic. But if you're, you know, if you're on a budget and you still want nice looking lights that do the same thing, angry audio has a solution for you. So remember when you're doing work in your studios or at your radio station and you come up with these challenges, don't get frustrated. Get angry. Check out angryaudio.com for more details. Thank you, Chris. And thanks to Angry Audio. And we're going to switch to my camera here and show you something. That little box from Max Connect is bringing you my signal for this entire show. And at the resort that I'm at, they have Wi-Fi, but it's not that great. And it cuts out a lot. 
So who knows what's wrong there? And my own T-Mobile signal, I'm in a 5G area, and you know it's got a really good download bandwidth, but the upload really sucks. And because I want you to see me and my signal here, we need good upload. Well, that's where Max Connect comes in. Uh, Max Connect, I got to tell you, not typically known for high speed, but known for high reliability. But in uh, the place that I'm at right here, and I don't know why, I, I got to get Josh Bone to tell me about it, but I am getting about 30 megs down, and I'm consistently getting about 13 to 14 megs up on this Max Connect uh, modem. And it's not the modem that does the, does the work. It's a PepWave modem. It's the Max Connect uh, SIM card inside. And yes, it, it, I'm on AT&T right now. Uh, I tried the Verizon, and I got better performance in right where I am here with the AT&T. Doesn't mean you're going to always get that. You can also get a T-Mobile SIM card. But the deal is you get prioritized data. And so I don't, you know, I don't have a packet counter right here uh, hooked up to this, but I don't think I've dropped many packets at all. This has just been so reliable. So Josh Bowen at Maxinec, bravo to you for making this work so well. Uh, the results, you know, do, do vary a little bit from time to time. But here at this location in Lauderdale-by-the-Sea, I'll tell you, MaxConnect is the only way that I'm able to be on video right now here at this resort. So I really appreciate Josh Bone and his great technology. Uh, and hey, maybe you don't need, you know, the a video bandwidth. Maybe you need to run a remote control. You need to see some security cameras. Uh, maybe you need to go do a, an, an audio remote from uh, a, a car dealer or a parade or a ball game. Well, Max Connect can get you outfitted because you get prioritized data. Thanks a lot, Josh Bone, for making Max Connect. Our industry needed it and you provided it. Really appreciate that. We'll have the uh, link at the website. It's spelled funny, maxconnect.com. Okay, uh, we're about to finish our show, and uh, this, is, this is the point where I, I put our guest on the spot. And, you know, hey, words of wisdom. What do you want? Frank, you're the preacher. What do you want the congregation to walk out remembering about what you said? What's important? Maybe what's coming up in the future? What do you think people ought to be looking out for with regard to upmixing surround and enjoying uh, sound and uh, in a whole new way? What do you thought? Well, Kirk, you know, one of the things I guess I should mention is that the tech that we're ta- we've been talking about is available as an application and as a plugin. Um, it's um, you, uh, we've um, you guys were talking about our friends at Angry Audio. They've licensed the tech. You can go to their website and um, um, acquire um, the app or run it as a VST as a plugin. On, 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 on a computer, as long as you have your own IO, you know, stereo in and multi channel out. So the tech is available, um, right now. And, um, so it's something where, you know, if you want to do it just to have it in your own uh, personal environment, you can. Um, I can also tell you that because, um, there's been a lot of talk of saying, oh, this is the best up mixer for music. Well, I, I will tell you that in the in the video world, it it works just fine as well. One night I did a uh, a test where I, I I grabbed my cable feed for Monday Night Football and I took the stereo feed, ran it through it, and it was perfect. The announcers were right in the center. You know the the field mics, which they have in stereo, were kind of like left front, right front, and the crowd was all around you. So um, this is a technology that's applicable for if you just want to. You know, have it for yourself and, and and hear music, or you know, content like you've never heard it before. You can. It can be applied for 
producing things. Um, it can be applied. We actually have, um, I think there's going to be a version of one of the Telos codecs that will have this in it so that, you know, if you run stereo audio in, it'll upmix and then using MPEG surround, it'll stream, you know, over the internet. And the cool thing about that is that MPEG surround is a standard. So any player, be it iTunes, Winamp, uh, Windows Media, whatever the player is in your computer, your phone, what have you, if it sees a, a header file in MPEG surround, it'll play 5.1 audio. So um, I, I think, you know, rather than going so much into what's the future, just, just to let everyone know that, that this is available. And if you want to learn more about what we're doing, uh, the website is syndicateofsounds.com. And there's, there's videos and papers and all kinds of stuff uh, about this, some of which we talked about here in your program, um, as well as links to how to acquire it if it's something you wish to do. Wow. We'll put uh, uh, links in the show notes for both uh, the Angry Audio application that people can get now and for Syndicate of Sounds, that sounds plural, syndicateofsounds.com. Right. And that's a really interesting and pretty website. You've, you've got some great graphics and explanations there. Thank you. Yeah. All right, uh, Chris Tarr, is there anything you'd like to leave us with? Because we got to go soon. Uh, just that it's it's been great. You know, we, uh, last time I was on, we had Corny, this time Frank, two guys that I really, really admire. Uh, as as my coworker Dave's like to say, we hitched our wagon to Telus Alliance a long time ago. So, uh, it, you know, it's really great to be seeing uh, somebody who I just have a lot of admiration for. And one thing I would like to mention to the engineers listening, I think there's been a theme here the past few weeks where, you know, with, with Corny and with Frank and what I've been preaching about the difference between loudness and quality. And you can have both, but you want to strive for both. It's, you know, you don't win by being the loudest on the dial. You win by being best on the dial. And so just That's right. if there's one thing you can take away, it's be the best on the dial. Yep. Right, that's, that's you got it, it buddy. And, and Chris, thank you for your support all these years. Well, Frank, oh, uh, thank, you for, thank you for being our guest, Frank. Really appreciate you taking uh, an hour. And, thank and, you for having me. And, of course, the thousands of hours that went into making this hour good with, uh, with, with your expertise. <laughs> I really appreciate it very much. By the way, Frank, I look forward and, to seeing you, you in about, about a month. Yeah, uh, the last thing I'll say is that actually the, the whole concept was given to me by my cat, Silvio Dante, and I just had to carry it out. You know, I, I, I do what he tells me, him and the Lord. And, so, and, and so I know, Silvio, you've got to do what he tells you. That's right. For, for anyone who, who clicked in, thank you for being with us, and, and thank you for your support. Great seeing all Alrighty. you guys. Thank you. Thank you, Frank. Thank you, Chris. We'll be back uh, next week. We had to go. Suncast, thanks to Suncast for switching and producing today's show and uh, also to Andrew Zarian, the founder of the GFQ Network. We will see you next week on This Week in Radio Tech.